We're continuing on in our series in Joshua this evening, and we're on Joshua chapter 3. Joshua 3, beginning in verse 1, we'll read the whole chapter. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about two thousand cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here, and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the souls of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. So it was. When the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, we look to you to once again open our hearts to receive your word, to give us tender and teachable hearts, hearts quick to trust you and quick to love Christ. We pray that you yourself would speak. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. It's been a few weeks since we were in Joshua. Uh, we, We looked at Joshua 1 and 2 previously, so let's just do a quick review to get us up to speed coming in here to Joshua chapter 3. So the book of Joshua has, has uh, this, this, this theme. It's, it's the Lord bringing his holy people into the holy place 
under his appointed leader. So it's the, it's the fulfillment, the culmination of the promises that God has been making to the people of Israel for hundreds of years, all the way back to, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. These promises God made of, of this inheritance that they would have, this promised land, this word is proving true. The kingdom that was promised is being realized here in the book of Joshua. And we saw this in chapter 1. It's all about God equipping Joshua with courage to lead the people into the land uniting the people behind him to follow his leadership after Moses has, after Moses has, has died. And then, and then chapter 2 takes a, a quick detour from the main narrative uh, with the two spies that Joshua sends out to go into Jericho. Uh, they, they come back with a very unusual report. Uh, no details of the enemy army's strength or, or position. They just say this, the Lord really is giving us this land. The, the, our enemies are terrified of us. It's God reassuring his people as they stand ready to enter uh, the promised land. God's reassuring his people of his promises. Yes, they will come true. And God does this in a, in a, in a wonderful way in chapter 2. He, he uses Rahab, a pagan prostitute, the last person you'd think. Uh, God uses her. He brings her to himself, gives her faith in himself, and uses her to reassure his people's faith in his own trustworthiness. Then we're up to chapter 3, where we are tonight. And this takes us back to the main narrative. It's, it's the moment that we've been waiting for in, uh, from the beginning of the book of Joshua. The, it's it's, it's the, the moment that, that's been anticipated and expected. The people are finally gathered on the banks of the Jordan River, and they can see the other side. They can see the promised land. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years waiting for this site. The, the last time the people of Israel lived in this promised land was over, was over 400 years before, when Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and uh, the, 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 the patriarchs were there. And they were just sojourners in the land. They just uh, uh, were, were nomads. They, they didn't own any of the land except for one little burial plot. That one little burial plot, like a down payment on the promise of the whole land to come. And so for all these hundreds of years, dads and moms have been telling their kids, there's a promised land. The Lord is, is going to give us someday. And this has been passed on. Uh, these promises have been passed on. And now here they are, finally, ready to cross over into the land. What's going on in their minds? Uh, here's the promised land just ahead of us. But here's the, the raging river. Jordan and flood stage. The, the spies have come back, given them a good report, reassured them of God's promises. Is there, but is there any doubt? Are there any questions on their minds as they stand there facing, uh, facing the promised land and, and the conquest that lies ahead of them? Well, maybe they're asking this. Maybe they're thinking this. Is God really coming with us here? Right? They, these, these people, they know their past. They, they, they remember how, how at Mount Sinai they, their, their fathers uh, fell into idolatry, worshipped a golden calf, and, and the Lord uh, 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 wanted to make a, a new people with Moses. And, and the Lord, of course, has, has told them over and over again that he will go before them, he will be with them, he will give them the land. But now that it comes down to it, right, the, the moment of, of proof, is the Lord really coming with us? Or they might also be asking, 
Is our Lord really able to do this? Really able to, to bring us into the land? Once, we've, once, once they've crossed the Jordan here, they've, they've crossed the Rubicon. There's no turning back. The, the conquest has begun. Can they be sure that God won't fail them? That the nations won't really turn out to be stronger than they are? Is the Lord the Lord of all the earth, or is He just another provincial God? Like the gods of the nations. Now those questions, is the Lord coming with us? Is the Lord able to do this, or will He fail us? Those aren't, uh, those aren't just speculation. We see in the text here that, that these are the, the questions that the people were probably asking because these are the questions the text addresses. The, the Lord speaks exactly to these concerns. He's reassuring them here that He will be with them and He won't fail them. And those are very relevant things to, uh, to ourselves, aren't they? Those are, those are often questions we ask ourselves. How can I know God is with me? How can I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that He is with me, with His church? Our age is an agnostic age where we, we're told we can't know anything for sure. How can we know God is with me? What if I don't feel like God is with me? How can, how can we be certain beyond a shadow of a doubt that He is with us? And then how, how can I be sure He won't fail me? How can I be sure His power is sufficient to save me? Right, right. How can a sinner like me in a world like this get to the promised inheritance in heaven? How can a sinner like me in a world like this get to the heavenly promised land? Does God have the power to, to get a sinner like me to that inheritance? This is what Joshua 3 addresses. This is, this is once again, we see here the Lord reassuring His people, reassuring us of His presence and His power to get us to the inheritance He's promised to give us. We start with verses 1-6 through and our first point here, preparing for the God of wonders. So the people, they're, they are, they're setting out from their camp in Acacia Grove. In Hebrew, it's Shittim. Uh, this is the place where their fathers, a generation before, sinned with, uh, with the Moabite women who were there. And they worshipped Baal. They committed adultery, and then they committed idolatry. So, so this is a place that's synonymous with unfaithfulness to God. Uh, Acacia Grove here. It's being reversed. God is reversing that history here. He's, he's giving this place a new association in their minds. This is where they set out from in faith, not, not, uh, not unfaithfulness, as they, come, uh, as they come to the conquest. So they set out from this place, Acacia Grove, and they come to the Jordan River. Now just picture, picture the scene with me for a minute. It's an entire nation gathered on the banks of the Jordan River. Men, women, children. Could be something like two million people more than the population of the state of Maine, gathered on the banks here with, with their tents and their baggage, their, their, their oxen, their donkeys, everything they have, gathered on the banks of this river. And the river is in, in, in its flood season. It's overflowing the banks. There's no way, uh, no, no ford here that looks passable, no bridges. And God hasn't told them yet how He's going to get all these men, women, children, and all their things, two million or more, across the river. But we don't see doubt here on the people's part. At least nothing recorded for us. You can remember the, the previous generation of Israelites when they were in a very similar situation, standing not at the Jordan River but at the Red Sea back in Exodus 14. 
This is what they say to the Lord. Why have you brought us out here to die? They see the Red Sea, and they automatically assume there's no way through. They're looking with the eyes of, of, of the flesh, worldly eyes. There's no hope that they see from that perspective. But by God's grace, the Israelites here under Joshua aren't saying, why did you bring us to an impassable river at flood stage? Because they're not looking with the eyes of the flesh. They're looking with the eyes of faith. They know their history, and and they can say, what's the Jordan River to a God who parted the Red Sea? So they don't doubt, they don't grumble, they trust, and they watch, and they wait. They wait there on on the raging riverbank one, two, three days. And then the word comes, the officers of the people go through the camp, pass on the instructions to them, uh, which it seems they have from Joshua. And I'd assume Joshua has these instructions from the Lord. What, what are we to do now? Here are the instructions that the Lord gives the people through Joshua. Number one, he tells the people, follow the Ark of the Covenant as it's carried by the priests. We see this in verse 3. Follow the Ark of the Covenant. That's the first thing the people are to do. Now, uh, the Ark of the Covenant is, is so significant uh, in this chapter. Um, it's, uh, it's mentioned over and over ten times in just 17 verses in this chapter. The, the narrator wants us to keep our eyes fixed on the Ark of the Covenant. It's, it's the cent- central actor in the drama here. What, what is the Ark of the Covenant? Well, uh, it's, it's uh, the symbol of God's presence with his people. It's the symbol of his covenant promises, his, his sworn oath to be their God and they'll be his people. It's a reminder of his faithfulness. It's a reminder of, of his people's responsibility to, to him. It's a reminder of, of his steadfast love, his covenant kindness. It's a reminder of his mercy. It's a reminder of his holiness. It, it, it's, a, it's a symbol for God's presence with his people. And, and, and the narrator uh, wants us and, and the Uh, the the author here wants the people of Israel to keep their eyes fixed on the Ark of the Covenant because it's what represents God himself here. So that's the first set of instructions. Follow the Ark. Follow the Ark of the Covenant. The second instruction is in verse 4. They're told, follow the Ark, but then, verse 4, keep your distance from the Ark. Stay back, about 2,000 cubits. That's what they're told. Um, That's about half a mile, just over half a mile. This is just clarifying for the people how, how close they're to follow the ark. They're to stay about a half mile away. Why is that? Well, verse 6 tells us it's so that you know the way to go, the text says. If you get too close to the ark, this is, this is a huge group of people. If, if some in the front get too close to the ark, not everyone will be able to see it. That's, that's the key thing. The Lord wants everyone to be able to see the ark. All eyes to be on him in the drama that's about to happen. That's the second instruction. The third part of the instruction comes directly from Joshua himself. In verse 5, he says, Sanctify yourselves to the people. Purify yourselves. Now, that probably included some, some ritual washings like, like was necessary for entering the tabernacle. When, whenever the people are preparing for God to meet with them or speak with them, like at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, he tells the people, Sanctify yourselves. Prepare yourselves. That includes these ritual washings. It, it's, these are supposed, though, to be a symbol of, of the inner preparation that the people needed. They needed to cleanse themselves inwardly, to set them apart as holy to the Lord inwardly, in anticipation of the Lord himself coming to meet with them 
and, and, and to do wonders among them. So that's it. Those are the three instructions to the people of Israel on the banks of the Jordan. They're not told yet. Notice what God is going to do. He just says, follow the ark, keep back about 2,000 cubits, and get ready to see what I'm going to do. That's all they need to know so far. And so, as we're reading the account here, there's this, there's this tension being built up for us. This, the narrator isn't telling us what's about to happen. He's, he's, he's putting us there with the people. You can imagine the suspense that, that would have been there in the, in the camp that night before the Lord's about to, to work wonders. They don't know what he's going to do, but they've been told to get ready. But before we get to the, the event itself, the display of God's wonders, there's, a, there's another delay, an interruption in the text here. And it's, it's here to increase our anticipation as we expect, wait expectantly to see what God's going to do. And, and this is a promise. A promise of God's presence and His power. In verses 7 to 13, our second point, a promise of presence and power. As verse 17 begins, it seems like it's the next day after uh, verses 1 through 6. It's the day that they're going to cross the Jordan, finally. Uh, but before we get to the action itself of actually crossing the Jordan, we get, the, again, it's the, 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 the story slows down as God gives us a promise. And what God is doing here is he's, he's getting 100% of the people's attention. He wants their complete focus on him. So before he does anything, he tells them what he's going to do and why he's going to do it. Let's see how this unfolds. So the Lord promises Joshua... In verse 7, he's going to make him like Moses in the people's eyes. They'll see the Lord is with him. He's confirming Joshua's leadership again here. Then in verse 8, the Lord tells him uh, to, to tell the priests bearing the ark to carry the ark and walk into the Jordan River. And again, no, no, no statement yet about what's going to happen when they do. Then in verse 9, Joshua turns to address the people. Uh, but, but we don't immediately get the content of what he's about to say. First, he says... Come here and hear the words of the Lord. See how, how, how the people are, are their, their attention is, is being fixed on the Lord and on His Word. Well, we, what is the message? We, we finally get it in verses 10 to 13. The Lord is going to part the Jordan River just like He parted the Red Sea. He's going to cut off the waters from flowing. He's going to, he's going to hold them back so they pile up in a great heap, like a, like a mountain of water that's being supernaturally restrained and contained. And, and this is going to leave dry land for the people to walk across into the, into the promised land. And he's going to do this by having the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant right into the river. Now, why does the Lord take the time to tell the people this here? Why, do, why, does, he, why does he bother to tell them what, he, what he's about to do? They're all going to see it. Well, he, he, he's telling them because he wants to tell them why. He, he, he's not just giving them a random display of his power. He's, he's teaching them something. He's giving them a promise, once again reassuring them uh, of his presence and his power. And these promises here are the focus. So let's look at them. The, the first promise, presence. The living God is among you, the text says in verse 10. God emphasizes to his people that he is alive. He is a living God. He's, a, he's the living, speaking, acting, saving God. He, he's, he's implying here that he's the only living God. All the other so-called gods of the nations are mute. They're not real gods. They're, they're dead. They're, there's nothing to them. There's no life in them. But he is saying he is the living God. 
able to do all that he pleases, the master of all the earth. He's emphasizing here that he's the living God who is also among his people. He's living and he's, he's living among them. He, he says that he's with them in the midst of them. Again, this is the essence of the covenant. That he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. I'll be with you. That, that's, that's what the Ark of the Covenant was the symbol of. It was God himself with his people. Isn't that a magnificent promise for, for the Israelites as they cross over the Jordan and enter the promised land to hear God tell them once again, I'm with you. That's the first promise he gives them to hold on to. The second is, is this. God, by his power, is going to give them the inheritance. Again, this is in verse 10. It says this, God will, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, and Perizzites, and Girgashites, Amorites, and the Jebusites. The God who parts the Jordan is the God who will destroy Israel's enemies. The same limitless power that they're about to see is the same power that will drive out the nations before them and give them the promised land. God will not fail, he cannot fail, to defeat Israel's enemies and give them the inheritance. So as, as Israel experiences this awesome power of God in the, in the parting of the Jordan River, uh, they're being given something to, to, to stay their trust on, to look back on and hang on to. God has all power. He is with us. He won't fail to give us this land. Now, brothers and sisters, those promises are our promises to, to hang on to as well. Remember those questions we, we started this evening with, is God really with me? Can I know that he is with me among us as we worship each Lord's Day? Does he really speak as his word is read and preached? Is, is he really present, indwelling me by his spirit? Is he able to, to make a, a, a sinner like me in a world such as this, with all the obstacles that, that we face, is he able to get me to the promised inheritance? We, we sing the hymn, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Will the Lord save someone so prone to wander? Can his power get me to the promised land? God says, here's a promise to cling to. When, 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 your question, when you have that question, when you're feeling like that, he says, I'm with you and I won't fail. I won't fail to bring you to the heavenly inheritance. How can we be sure? How can we be absolutely sure of these things? When our enemies look so strong, our sin looks so strong, the, the struggles, the obstacles that the church faces look insurmountable. How can we be sure? Well, as the text calls us to here, look at God's wonders, his saving wonders. Look at what he's done, what he's already done. He's, he's given us a display of these promises that he's given us in action, at work. And that's what we look at in our final point, our third point. Passing over the Jordan, verses fourteen to seventeen. These are, are where this is where we see God's promises at work and the wonders that He's done here. So, verses fourteen to seventeen. After the long build-up through all of chapter three, we come to the actual crossing of the Jordan at last. The the priests bearing the ark go first. The people follow. You can imagine all their anticipation. All their eyes are watching the ark of the covenant as the priests walk towards the river. Uh, the, the Jordan, as we've said, was, was in flood right now, as verse 15 tells us. And this is, again, this is God's perfect timing. Uh, this, this is how he loves to work, isn't it? When it looks most impossible. 
The Jordan River uh, is a floodplain that ranges from 200 yards to a mile wide. Um, it, has a, it has a steep drop, so there's a, there's a powerful, fast-moving current. One of the commentators says this, The river Israel faced that springtime was no placid stream, but a raging torrent, probably a mile wide, covering a mass of tangled brush and jungle growth. This is a significant obstacle, but the priests, they carry the ark, they go up to the edge of the water, they step into the water, and as soon as their feet touch the water, it's like a tap getting shut off, or, or like, a, like a giant hand coming down, cutting off the river, and the, the water upstream piles in this great heap. The rest of the water flows downstream until there's a dry riverbed for them to walk across. The priests carry the Ark of the Covenant into the middle of this dry riverbed, and they stop and they stand still. They don't move. They stand right there. And then all Israel crosses over, able to see them upstream. All Israel crosses over, and, and, and as they cross over, there are the priests upstream holding the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence and faithfulness and mercy and power. The whole nation marches across into the Promised Land. Imagine how they felt as, as they walked out of, the, out of that riverbed and they stood in the land that God's been promising them for hundreds of hundreds of years. Right? I'm, I'm sure they felt reassured once again of God's presence. God is with them. Reassured of His power. That their, their enemies don't stand a chance against the Lord who can shut off the river the way you and I might shut off a faucet. So this is the Lord of all the earth. His word isn't about to fail. But what, what about us? We don't have the dramatic experience of seeing a river shut off in front of us and walking through it. Where do we get reassurance? Well, we look here. We read Joshua 3. We read about the crossing of the Jordan River. We say, that's my history. That's my God. They're the same God. His power hasn't changed. His promises haven't changed. He cannot. He will not change. He's with me. We fix our eyes on him like the Israelites here facing that river. They don't, they don't look at the Lord from a, uh, they don't look at the river in front of them with, with, a, with a point of view of this world. They look with the eyes of faith. They, they look at the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God's promise to them, his, his, his covenant with them. And brothers and sisters, that's where we are to look. When we're tempted to think the Lord isn't with us or I'm not going to, to make it to the heavenly inheritance, not with the sins and the struggles that I'm facing. This is where we look. Look to the God who's present with us and, and the God who's sworn an oath to love and keep us and whose power is bringing us without fail to the promised land. But, of course, we don't have an Ark of the Covenant to look to, do we? What, what do we have? Are we worse off than the Israelites without having this dramatic experience of seeing the Ark of the Covenant uh, part, the, part the Jordan River in front of us? Well, no, not at all. We, we're, we are in, in no way worse off than them. We have something much, much better. Think of what the Israelites are, are looking at. They're looking at the Ark of the Covenant. It's a wooden box overlaid with gold uh, carried by the priests. It contains the Ten Commandments. It's the symbol of God's presence with his people, his commitment to his people. It's being carried by the priests. It's, it's, it's all these types and shadows and symbols that the people are looking at. Right? The, the, the Ark of the Covenant being carried by the priests into the raging waters of the Jordan River to open up the way into the Promised Land is a, is a, is a brilliant sign pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. We see this in a few ways. First, 
The Ark of the Covenant itself points us to Christ. It's the sign of God's presence and His commitment. But we don't have just a sign of God's presence and commitment. We have Christ Himself. He is, as we read, God with us. He Himself is, is, is God come in the flesh with us. And, 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 of course, we see in Him also that God's covenant commitment to us, His promise to us. We might even say He is the covenant in His body. What does He say as He institutes the Lord's Supper? Luke 22 And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is where we see the covenant now, dear ones, in the body and blood of Christ. His body broken for us, his blood shed for us. There we see God's presence with us and his unchanging commitment to his covenant and to us. We don't need to look to the Ark of the Covenant. We look to the very body and blood of Christ. Second, we see the priests here pointing us to Christ. The priests carrying the Ark. Of course, Christ is the great high priest. He's the final high priest. He's the mediator between God and man. He's the high priest who doesn't just go into the uh, uh, Holy of Holies once a year. He's the high priest who's gone into the heavenly holy of holies and reigns there forever, interceding for us. He's the high priest who is not sinful in himself, but has offered himself as a once-for-all sacrifice for our sins. So he points us, uh, the priests point us to, to Christ. And third, the third way we see Christ here. Not only does the Ark of the Covenant point us to him, not only do the priests point us to him, the very drama and action of, of this narrative point us to Christ. The Israelites, as they stand on the banks of the Jordan, are seeing that the way into the promised land is only opened by the covenant Lord going before them into the waters. Water is often in the Old Testament and in in the whole Bible a symbol of judgment, of God's wrath and judgment. Think of the flood or, or the exodus. It stands out so clearly in Exodus as the waters of the Red Sea turn from salvation for God's people to wrath on God's enemies. So here, here are the people now. They're on the banks of the, the Jordan River. They're replaying that Exodus crossing of the Red Sea uh, as they enter the Promised Land. And what do they see? They see the priests carry the ark into the river and the waters stop. So between the people and the raging, heaped-up waters stands the Ark of God's Covenant and His priests. What about us? Well, what do we see between us and the heaped-up waters of God's wrath? We see Christ Himself hanging on the cross. The waters of God's wrath drown Him, but they don't touch us. What do we see as open for us the heavenly inheritance, our, our heavenly promised land? It's Christ. Right? Christ enters He opens and He enters heaven for us. He goes before us like those priests stepping into the river, into the wrath of God to open our way to the promised land, the heavenly inheritance. And then He Himself goes in His ascension to that heavenly promised land. So, can can you be sure that God is with you 
and that he will be with you all the way to that promised inheritance, the heavenly land. Can you be sure that God will never fail you, but will conquer all your enemies and will bring you to his heavenly promised land? Look at the wonders he has done. Look at the wonders of Christ's work, bearing God's wrath for us, opening the way to our heavenly inheritance for us. The the one who is God with us, the one who shows us God's commitment to his covenant never to fail us, and, and God's glorious power to defeat all our enemies. He's present with us. He strengthens us, brothers and sisters. Can we have any doubt that we won't reach our heavenly inheritance? The only way we could fail to reach the heavenly inheritance is if Christ had failed. He has not failed. He cannot fail. So let's trust him, brothers and sisters. Let's pray together.